folks. Welcome to uh, The Big Tent here on Radio Boise, KRBX 89.9 FM Caldwell, Boise. Uh, Very exciting show for you today. Uh, I'm your host, uh, Charlie Hunt, here with my erstwhile uh, co-host, Jen Schneider. Here I am. I'm back. Here she is. She's back after after a brief hiatus. We're so happy to have you back. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, And we're also happy to have today our special guest, uh, Wyatt Schrader. Wyatt is the uh, Director of Community Partnerships for the City of Boise. Uh, Wyatt, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. And I should say Wyatt's here as part of our uh, series on growth in the Valley. We've had some really great discussions about transportation and political ramifications of growth. And today we're going to be talking about housing and homelessness. Yes. That's right. We'll be talking about uh, homelessness, affordable housing, and 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 those kinds of issues. Uh, but first, Wyatt, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, what does what does the director of community partnerships do, and uh, what's been sort of your your path to this place? Sure. Well, thanks for hosting this. I mean, as you can imagine, the conversation on growth can go so many different places. So the fact that it can go to a very important, meaningful, but impressively challenging place like homelessness I think is very necessary so kudos to this whole room for making that happen um, so my my road I kind of came to this uh, this work randomly um, and frankly pretty callously so I was actually working on political campaigns <laughs> back east grew up um, outside of Philadelphia and was working on political campaigns because I thought that's where I could make the most difference but like, unfortunately, a um, armchair uh, liberal, I thought the best way to learn about what people in poverty thought was to do a year of AmeriCorps, steal as many stories from those conversations as I could, and then go right back into, into politics and use that for the spin machine. But something happened in my year of AmeriCorps in Washington, D.C., and I started hearing those stories. We were going to homeowners' houses, and they were talking about how they hadn't been upstairs in, in 10 years, uh, and all the relics up there. They were talking about the how cold it got in the winter in their house because they couldn't afford um, any changes to their HVAC system. And I got really impacted by that. I'd always taken for granted um, what home meant. I thought home was just a nice novel idea and a good metaphor we use in, in folk songs. But I didn't realize that home is health. So that set me down a path. So I stayed in this work and worked at Domestic Violence Shelter in D.C. before going back home to Philly and then coming out here six years ago to continue the work on housing homelessness. So what do you uh, so in terms of your current role now as director of community partnerships? What does that what does that entail? What's kind of your your? It's delightfully vague, isn't it? it it's, community it, partnerships. It could yes. it could mean anything. <laughs> it, it, it could it could help us clarify it though. The way I think about it is it's focused on any social service partnership that benefits a marginalized community in Boise. So that's everything from working with our new Americans and refugees to working on the opioid crisis to working on neighborhood revitalization, and to where I spend most of my time on housing affordability and homelessness. I bet you have conversations with such a wide range of people, and you probably hear some wild views about homelessness. And so, Whatever would make you think that. <laughs> I'm a professor, so I also hear them. Um, I'm wondering, you know, what is it that you would like people to understand about the issue of homelessness, particularly in the Valley here? Like, what is your sort of message that you would like to bring home to people about this issue? Yes, it's a great question and one you can never get tired of. Um, I, in a lot of my public presentations, just ask a very simple question. Um, can we actually do a thing right now? Can I ask you to this? Yeah, Same thing? absolutely. Let's do All right, it. Just rapid fire. What words come to mind when you hear the word home? Warmth. Well, I was, was going to say warm. Yeah. yeah. Warm. Comfort. Okay. Uh, Comfort. Food. Food. Retreat. Retreat. Let's mm-hmm. do one more. Parents. 
parents. Yeah. Great. Mm-hmm. So family. Yeah. All right. Then what words immediately check that bias come to mind when you hear the word homelessness? Street. Street. Poor. Poor. Uh. Mm. At risk. At I'll risk. Jump in. Yeah. Jump in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I. I would guess also people might also say things like dirty, crime, and mm-hmm. drugs. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah you hear, just asking those simple questions, it, it's amazing how even in a room of five people or a room of 50, how immediately our, our bias starts to come out. Mm-hmm. The, the best way I heard this explained was actually in a presentation I had um, where I asked that same question. And one person was like, well, for home, I guess it's, it's the clearinghouse for all my values. I was like, oh, wow, that's a, that's a phrase. Wow. And then... He continued and said, well, then homelessness is where my values come into conflict. And I just love that thought, that this idea of homelessness, we picture a person, but there's also this deeper level of our values coming to conflict, which I think is very true on an individual basis. A very clear way of thinking about that is domestic violence. Um, so if you are tonight experiencing abuse and, and, and your son sees it for the first time, um, and which happens very often. Your, your child seeing the abuse occur, you know, the parent, too often the woman, then the wife, um, has to make a choice. Which is more important, um, safety or this house? Because you can't choose, those are not the same value anymore. So that's where the values come into conflict. Yep. Oh. And so often, so you hear this, this constant refrain of homelessness is a choice, right? Why? Like every, people are choosing this. Whatever percentage of the population is choosing this. And so I like to go through that example because, like, is that a choice? Well, and for so many people, like, we're, I, I think Jen said comfort, safety is another word I think a, pro- a lot of people probably would use to say their home, to describe their home. And yeah. for a lot of people, those are the same thing. A lot of people feel no safer than when they are in their Correct. home. And I would but put for, myself in that category. Right. But for, but for these folks, it's not only is it not that, but it's the opposite. It's existential threat. Yep. Yeah. Entirely. And so... I mean, uh, right now, we have, so there's a partnership locally, and we'll talk about this more in a little bit, called Our Path Home. It's got 45 partners serving Ada County, helping end homelessness. Of the uh, the single mothers we see, half of them are fleeing domestic violence. That's the the root reason why they're coming to us. So they're, they're in that choice. But I also think like the value conflict also is a societal one, right? Like, we're, which is more important to us? Um, the almighty dollar or support for um, our most marginalized? Like, is, is our idea of capitalism so uh, like clairvoyant to us that we're willing to say, whatever happens in the market and the housing market is fine by me because that was what the market decided, even if it creates these haves and have nots? Like, so I think I just love that thought of like what homelessness is, these ideas. Don't you think, to too, we've just internalized the thought that um, individuals are responsible for whatever happens to them? Right. Like that's sort of like the mm-hmm. pull, there's the pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. But there's also the opposite, which is if something has befallen you or you're having some challenges, you did something to deserve that. Mm-hmm. And I don't think people always articulate that. But I think those beliefs are kind of deeply ingrained in the way we think about, you know, class and wealth and capitalism and morality and who is a good person and who isn't. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah. In terms of, uh, you know, this is sort of the general problem of homelessness. In terms of what sort of you've observed in, in your post with the city of Boise, what are, are there any kind of sort of particular problems of homelessness or types of homelessness that uh, have affected the Valley or, or Boise in particular that maybe haven't in other places? Yeah. Um, so or is it, it a pretty systemic kind of, kind of thing across the board? 
Well, I definitely think that it's true here. Like it exists here um, and doesn't always feel so. I, I was um, on the folks have read the book Evicted by Matthew Desmond, which won the Pulitzer Prize, was a, a big story. Uh, I was invited to a book club and chat with them. And everyone was talking to me until halfway. I realized, I was like, wait, why are we talking so like existentially about this? And folks were like, oh, because that's about Milwaukee. This doesn't happen here. It's like, no, right. eviction is on the rise here too. So here in Ada County, our partnership assessed 1,200 households last year. So I don't know if that feels like a lot to folks or if that feels um, like a small amount, but there's 1,200 households. So here tonight, we've got f- over 400 kids that are staying mm-hmm. either in shelter or on the streets. That sounds yeah. like a lot to me. It does. That sounds like 400 too many for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it exists. So sure. um, we see a little bit in terms of trends to your question. We see a little bit higher for veterans than nationally. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not that much, but about um, 11% of your local population are veterans experiencing homelessness nationally. For us, it's about 15. Okay. So a little bit higher for veterans. Um, and we see the single adult population um, really rising. Okay. And especially because we don't have a ton of, of services in the same way for them. So we have that queuing up in our central list, sadly. Fascinating stuff. So we're going to take a short break and then uh, we'll be back in just a minute to talk hopefully some possible solutions to homelessness. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Cecil Baldwin from Welcome to Night Vale. You're tuned in to Radio Boise, your source for music and public affairs programming in Boise and beyond. All right, we're back with the Big Tent here on Radio Boise. We're here with Wyatt Schrader uh, from the city of Boise. We're talking uh, homelessness and housing affordability. Uh, we were just talking about some of the systemic challenges facing the city and facing the Treasure Valley. Uh, you know, Wyatt, in terms of you know what you've observed in your in your time with the city, you know what what kinds of how might we go about fighting this? What are some you know either are there any tried and true ra- ways to go about fighting homelessness? Is it something that different cities struggle with? What's what's your take on that? Can I say a phrase and just see how you two react? Please. Can we do another? another oh man, you just another keep putting reaction? us on the spot wow. one, one time after another. <laughs> so you, All right, okay. You, you okay. thought this was going to be you asking me questions, <laughs> but turn the table. All right, let's do this. Yeah. We know how to end homelessness. React to that. Well, I have to say true, because I feel yeah. like the city's been claiming that for a while, and seems like we're making some progress. Well, I'm guessing the, the if if we know how to end it, the, the solution is probably to give people homes, but we just, it, but the question <laughs> yeah. then is how to do it, right? So or... yeah, well, I love that response, because it's, at some level, it is that simple, and this is where probably half your audience just rolled their eyes at me. I'm Well, they rolled their eyes at me, right? <laughs> I said it. <laughs> it's radio, we can't tell. Yeah. Um, so how we used to think this problem, can we do a real quick history lesson? Please. So homelessness just as like a noun to refer to a social issue didn't really exist until the 70s. Like even referring, like if I said homelessness in the 50s, people would be like, well, I don't quite know how you meant that word versus, you know, unfortunately some of the derogatory terms we refer to that person. So in the 70s, with we deinstitutionalized mental health, right? You know, starting with President Kennedy in the 60s and then all the way through Nixon, we said, hey, it's probably a bad idea for us to put this critically um, severe and persistent mentally ill population in one spot. We should not do that. But we had no second plan. Mm. So we deinstitutionalized and then there was no other thing because we had never seen homelessness as a huge urban crisis. Well, then the 80s happened and we can think back to that. And so suddenly homelessness saw as we're, like we have to do something. We, whoever we meant, should do something. So in the beginning, we just went by what we knew, shelters. 
okay, let's put someone somewhere tonight and they'll probably figure it out. Because to your point, Jen, like it, there's the individual bearer's responsibility. Let's put them there and they'll figure it out. And that worked for about 16% of the population, which is a number we still see. 16% were able to find stable housing. And then we we're like, this isn't working for everyone. What if they just need more time? But we don't trust them yet. They're not ready to have a home of their own. So we created what's known as transitional housing. So let's take Jen and take you from the street, put you in shelter for a little bit. Let's get you into transitional housing where we'll teach you how to be ready for housing. Let's be in there for two years because that's what the federal government says is the max they'll pay for. So when I was growing up, that was known as a halfway house yeah. type deal. Okay. Yeah, let's be there for two years. Okay. And then at the end of it, you, you then can walk into stable housing. And that worked for about 41%. So great, that's almost three times as good. That's that's better. A psychologist comes along in the late 90s and says, this is completely backwards. If you think this from like Maslow's hierarchy of needs that we're all taught in school, what's at the bottom, right? Not the phrase Maslow used, but stable housing. <laughs> and once you have that stability, then you can work on your tougher issues. And all of our clinicians listening understand that. Um, all our doctors who are seeing the same patient in the ER come back and come back, even though they're gaining medical management. If you're being exited to the street, that's no medical management at all. So we invent this idea called housing first, of if we house people immediately or as rapidly as we can, then they're more likely to overcome their addictions. They're more likely to have improvement in their income. They're more likely to uh, live more healthily with their mental illness. And for a kid, their brain architecture won't develop in trauma. It'll develop in the safety and security of home. Mm-hmm. So that that this idea of housing first to your point, Charlie, is, it is that simple. We need to give people housing as rapidly as possible and the supportive services that they need to stay stably housed. The The problem we just struggle with as a country is how to scale that. Mm-hmm. Is it a question of uh, generally cost or sort of organizing political will or all of the above? I realize that's kind of a big, big question. Yeah. Oh, listeners, I wish you could see the smile on Wyatt's face right now. <laughs> all of the above. All of the above. Because the city of Boise, we're trying to do as much as we can, but the reality is the federal government hasn't, they did a lot for a little bit mm-hmm. on, on, on homelessness, and we'll talk about housing a little more in a minute. But for instance, the state of Idaho gives collectively zero dollars to this. Whereas a lot of states have set up specific funds for this because recognizing there is just a scale problem, which depending on how you look at it, is incredibly easy because all it is is money or incredibly hard because all it is is money. Um, but we know we know how to build supportive housing like New Path Community Housing, which if folks live in Boise that are listening, um, is on 23rd and Fairview. Drive by, say hello. It's Idaho's first housing first building. And so it took 40 people that have uh, had on their shoulders all the stigmas of our community for years. The average person who moved into New Path was on the street for seven years, the average. The longest was 31 years, wow. which is almost my age. Wow. Um, and it's working. Stay, uh, a year later from that building, from using a Housing First model and giving them intensive supportive services, a year lady, later, uh, 87% are still stably housed, which is huge. Again, if you think back to our 16% from shelter, 41%, twice that are now in our community stably housed using this model. And so for our more maybe neoliberal or conservative friends out there, is there an economic argument to be made for this approach as opposed to sort of dumping things into, you know, social services maybe all the way along without providing the housing? Like, does providing the housing first actually make economic sense as well yeah, as, absolutely. as moral sense? Absolutely. Yeah, it's, if there's a hard argument that we're given, there's, there's a head argument too. So Boise State actually did a study on this. Um, which 
maybe some listeners have checked out when they're bored on a Friday night. Um, as you do. As you do. Sure. Mm-hmm. It's not just me, right? I'm not the only nope. person who reads studies on homelessness on Friday night, right? I thought you were like uh, screaming at the TV over Villanova games oh, on Friday you. night. I am wearing my Villanova socks. <laughs> nice. It's super sad. They should be playing tonight, but uh, understandably with coronavirus, they will not be playing in the Big East <laughs> tournament. <laughs> still okay, but homelessness, homelessness study. Homelessness. Yes, homelessness. Friday still night. bad. Um, we did a study, and it showed that each person experiencing chronic homelessness costs the taxpayer $53,000 to keep experiencing homelessness. Right. To not solve the problem. To not solve the problem. Like, we're, we're subsidizing you to just be experiencing this terrible, terrible right. trauma. Whereas if we used a housing first model and housed them, it would cost $16,000 a year. So, yes, we would save a ton of money. Now, does that mean a taxpayer is going to see a rebate check? No, but that's a police officer who gets to spend an hour in your neighborhood versus some, somewhere else. That's an ER worker who gets to uh, see the, a different patient and go a little bit deeper with them. All these different emergency services would get to be reallocated to other things, which helps our entire community to lift all boats. And the individual can go be a contributing member of society, right? <laughs> as well, like the economy as well as our society, right? Absolutely. So. Absolutely. All right, we need to take a quick break. When we come back, Wyatt, we'd like to hear more about the connections that you see between homelessness and the housing affordability issue here in the Valley. You're listening to uh, The Big Tent. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. This is Derek Smalls from Spinal Tap. Did you know that dozens of people spontaneously combust each year? It's just not reported in the mainstream media. For you in the Treasure Valley who can avoid that, you've got Radio Boise on 89.9 FM and 93.5 Downtown Community Radio for Boise and beyond. We're back on the Big Tent here on Radio Boise. Uh, We're back here with Wyatt Schrader uh, from the city of Boise. Uh, We're talking about uh, homelessness as well as the housing crisis here uh, in in the Valley. And Wyatt, uh, can you talk us through a little bit, you know, the, the the connection between homelessness and housing, I mean, in some ways it's an obvious one, uh, but can you tell us a little bit about how the issue of housing affordability, which which many folks, uh, as the president would say, many people are talking about it. Uh, well, we have data to support our claim, though, right? We have our uh, Treasure Valley right. surveys, that, and we have qualitative data. That pesky it's the number data. one issue. Uh, uh, because we have that data, we know that there is a housing shortage in, in the Valley. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how that connects to this problem of homelessness and, and what unique challenges that might pose? Yeah, I would... So to me, it's intuitive that housing and homelessness are, are connected. I, I, do you agree with that? Like, do you hear that from others? Because to your point that Jen made like, two segments ago, if we view homelessness as purely an individual responsibility, I could frankly see why people wouldn't see them as connected. Mm. I think what's changed is that it's not seen as sort of like just an indigent problem now. I think there's lots of sort of wor- working class and middle class folks who all of a sudden feel very vulnerable because housing prices have spiked mm-hmm. and they're worried that they're not going to be able to stay in their homes and that they themselves may become homeless. Yep. So I feel like it's sort of exploded that issue beyond sort of the stereotypes that we have in our heads. Yeah. And uh, can I do a quick stat parade? Yes, please. For your please. sophisticated listener. Let's do it. Um, so we're seeing rents grow, and I guarantee if you're listening to this, you're feeling it, um, by 9% every single year for at least the last three, which 9%, um, I don't know how that feels to you, but that's 10% you know, more in your rent every single month, which really adds up, especially if you're working minimum wage. Minimum wage right now, uh, you'd have to work 68 hours 68 hours on minimum wage to afford a one bedroom here. Yikes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's 
just your housing costs. It's assuming nothing else is getting more expensive in your life. So, all right, rents are going up. We know that. Wages are not are not following as much. Uh, wages are only going up, you know, like 2 to 3%. Okay, great. We got this problem that's growing over time. And this housing shortage that Charlie teed up is really acute. So we don't actually have a housing shortage at every single income level. We have a housing shortage at certain income levels. Mm-hmm. So um, City of Boise is working on its latest draft of a housing needs analysis. We'll give us some new data, but here's how the data is looking. We don't see a shortage in all incomes. Where we really see it is anyone who's earn- earning half of the median income. So right, if we just lined up every single person in town and said, hey, the person right in the middle, what are you earning? Um, Everyone who's earning half of that or less is, is really struggling. For instance, we're about 7,000 units behind a deficit for that population. 7,000 units. So when you hear about 20 units coming um, into your neighborhood or um, you know, 134 that just opened up on Fairview called a dare. Drop in the bucket. Unfortunately, yeah. is mm-hmm. still nowhere near enough because that's a deficit. So you got to produce more. Continue with, with a little little more stats. So, but you know what? I'm seeing all this building. Things are happening. A ton is happening. So we did a quick math, some math, because um, math is important. Math uh, is good. Math's good. Um, we believe in math. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I was a music major, so I have to be convinced of it. But I've been told math. We have to have our really weekly important. shout out to Andrew Yang. Uh, <laughs> math is I was good. about to make that yeah. joke, and I was like, I don't know, if, should I this bring is... up a failed presidential candidate or not? Oh, sure. <laughs> this yeah. is the show to do it. Okay, yeah. good. All right, good. Um, <laughs> So we did some some number crunching and saw that we, the city of Boise, need to create a thousand units every year, new, new units just to just to catch up with incoming growth. A thousand units. Now I don't know if that sounds like a lot. Sounds so like a lot. It does. <laughs> so here's the thing, though. For the last two years, we've produced fourteen hundred units. So we're actually doing a great job of building units here in the valley. Wow. They're Jen's giving really me a look. Expensive? Yeah, Jen's giving me the look so you can see where it's going. Yeah. I'm leading the horse to water. But we're not building affordable units. We're not overcoming the deficit right. I just mentioned. So, yes, we're building enough units to live. And if um, any developers are listening, they're, they're mad at me because there's this, this well-known, I think, truism of, like, all housing is good, which is true at some level. But I'm also of the mind that that's, that's great, but that doesn't help the barista today doesn't help the the part-time worker today it doesn't help with the your you know your grandmother and social security today like we have to build specific units targeted for affordable housing and if we're only relying on federal subsidies to do that you can only do a few of them a year and that doesn't overcome your deficit so we we have to be honest it's a real problem and i don't think using the word crisis is is too daunting a word to use so what are some of the tools that you have at your disposal for tackling the housing affordability issue i mean this is like cities are feeling this more than anyone else. Like if you just listen to mayors talk, um, they're talking about housing way more than anyone in a federal government ever has. Um, like let's use the presidential. This is like the first presidential race I've ever heard where we, people created housing plans. Mm-hmm. Right. That wasn't seen as a thing. It's like, no, the market's got that. And we just every now and then throw a couple dollars at vouchers. So cities are really feeling this. Um, so we want to stand up like a land trust that can really look at this from a land standpoint. We're going to create a new subsidy program to help incentivize the creation of affordable housing. But the reality is if the state doesn't come along and if the federal government doesn't come doesn't come along, your city can't do enough. It's as simple as that because of math. <laughs> but so, you're, so we're, we're creating a housing task force to really take on this issue very, very seriously. And, and Mayor McLean's made it a key priority, um, as we should. But at the end of the day, we need 
We need the governor, we need a legislator, and we need the federal government to really stand up on housing. Is there a role for uh, for nonprofits and charity in that kind of uh, sector, or is it really just a drop in the bucket compared to what we would need from from sort of higher up government authorities? No, everything everything matters. So if you've got land in the back of your yard and you could build what's called an accessory dwelling unit, which would be just basically a picture, you know, one unit back there that might like. Like, I've got a shed that I'm working on that can be made into a one-bedroom. Like, all of that adds up. If we all take responsibility for this and we also cheer on the creation of affordable housing in our community. Now, like, being being into affordable housing on Facebook is not helpful, unfortunately, as it is to, like, walk into our city hall and say, I care about this. Right. On Mondays for our plan zoning meetings and on Tuesdays for city council. Because the forces against more housing are always louder than the forces for housing opportunity. Well, that sounds like a fine moment to uh, wrap this up on. Uh, thank you so much, thank you for having me. This uh, Wyatt, is great. for coming. This was a great conversation. I wish we could talk for three more hours. Uh, but alas, uh, you are in for a treat because coming up next, as usual, is the amazing podcast, uh, Common Land. You've been listening to The Big Tent here on Radio Boise, KRBX 89.9 FM Caldwell, Boise. Boise.